So this week, probably as many of you are aware, all of the priests of the Archdiocese of Chicago gathered together for what's called a convocation. So that's why I'm sure here at St. Joe's or other parishes, if you're here visiting, may have noticed there were either fewer or no masses celebrated during the weekdays because the priests were away. And so we thank you for your generosity and patience during that time. But the priests get together for these convocations in all dioceses. I'm sure they do it in Boston every couple of years. But because of COVID, as with everything else, we hadn't gathered for quite a while in person. And some committee, I'm sure a very good committee, always puts together the theme for these things. And the theme for us, for the convocation this year, was a light in the midst of hopelessness. And what they were thinking of, I think, was, you know, we've come through COVID and it was tough and we were all sort of struggling in the church. Um, but a number of us were saying, but we don't feel hopeless. You know, but no, this is the night of hopelessness, so get over it. We're going to be hopeless tonight. And then we worked our way to hope by the last day. But what struck me was the hope, and again, a lot of work went into it. It was a wonderful gathering, but I live with seminarians, so I'm used to complaining about everything. <laughs> the, the thing, though, was that it certainly was a challenge for all of us, COVID. We know this here all over the world. But it really wasn't a hopelessness necessarily that hit home. I mean, if anything, there was some hope in how we all came together in the midst of that. And I guess what I'm getting at here is no one else can really name your hopelessness for you. And I got to thinking to myself in my sort of dour way, well, what if on the hopelessness day, a priest had gotten up or even a bishop had gotten up and said, let me tell you where some of the hopelessness is in my heart. Let me tell you about how I'm struggling with my vocation, or let me tell you about how I'm wondering, you know, where things are going for me right now, and have I really even followed the right path, or boy, I really think I blew that decision that I made last year, or I said a horrible thing to this couple. You know, I, and all of a sudden, I guarantee you, there'd be little resonate, resonating throughout the room. Here at St. Joe's and at a lot of parishes, I love the tradition on Father's Day, a father or a mom gets up, and I love listening to the stories, right? This is how I found faith in my family, and here's where the blessings are, and those are precious, precious times. But what if one year a man or a woman got up and said, you know, my marriage has just fallen apart, and I, I don't know where to go with this. I wish I'd been a better father but I wasn't. And I don't just mean I missed a baseball game or two, I mean I really was not a good father. Or I've been struggling with this addiction for all of my life, for all of my marriage, for all of my fatherhood. And that's all I really have to bring here today. So why all these cheery thoughts? It's because if you're like me, you know, and I love it, we, we sang about joy, we listened to joy in the psalm and the opening hymn, but if you're like me, I'll associate that joy precisely with the very opposite of what I was just alluding to. I want to associate joy with how we all burst through the pandemic and did wonderful creative things in our churches. I want to celebrate joy with what I've decided are the success stories or my hero priests or the saints whom I so admire. 
You can understand why we want to do that. That's human nature in a way. But we've got to be brutally honest. It is not the biblical way, and it's not ultimately the core of our faith. And that's why what Paul says, one of the most famous readings in the whole Bible, but if you're like me, I kind of listen to it, and then it just washes by. There's Paul. He gets his moment in the spotlight. Paul, what have you got to tell us, you know? I have a sense that Paul had no problem with knowing his self-value. And he says, I'm going to boast. You know, this is what I'm going to boast about. And that word, we translate boast, it doesn't mean egotistical. It just means, I want you to know this. I am so full of joy because of this, I can't keep quiet. And then paradoxically, but maybe it's not paradoxical because we've heard it so many times, but maybe it is as paradoxical as when we're waiting for the bishop or the priest to tell us how wonderful his vocation is, and all of a sudden he gives us a little peek into a darker area of his heart. That would be paradoxical. We've maybe forgotten what the paradox sounds like in Paul's voice, but he says, what I boast in is the cross. What I boast in is the very thing that renders me almost entirely helpless. Now, as I've said so many times, Paul has an advantage you and I have that the guys in the gospel didn't have. Paul lives on our side of the resurrection. He knew that the cross was not ultimately this horrible instrument of torture. Kind of a brick wall, lights off. When you breathe your last on the cross, it's game over. But the guys in the gospel didn't know that, at least not until you get to the very, very end. So look at what Jesus does with that very same concept. Because if you're like me, this is something I can maybe relate to a little bit more. I know Paul says the right thing theologically, but I can't honestly say it's what I feel in my heart all the time. So what does Jesus do with this at a very kind of rubber-hits-the-road, everyday sensibility? It's this idea of, he calls these 72 together. Beautiful sense of community, right? Hey, guys, come on, come on, come together. We're going to pray together. We're going to talk together. We've been walking this journey. Have I got a mission for you? And I'm sure they were boasting a little bit. They were feeling rightly good about themselves. And he sends them out on the mission. They're going to take part in what Jesus himself has started. They've been watching him. They've been following him. Now they get to do it themselves. But how does he send them out? He sends them out by setting them up almost to fail. Don't bring any security blanket for you. Don't bring any money. Don't bring any food. Don't bring any extra supplies. You're going to go out how? Like sheep among wolves, right? Pope Francis says priests should smell like their sheep. That all sounds great. He doesn't say they should be eaten by wolves. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And he's sending them out in such a way that if they listen to him, if they really go without all those extra trappings and sources of security, then there's only one way they can survive. And the only way they can survive is by looking in the eye those to whom they've been sent and saying, I ain't got nothing. I don't have food to put in my mouth. I don't have clothes to put on my back. I don't have anything to bring you other than the love and the message of the one who sent me. 
Now what are you going to do about it? That's the cross, right? That's the cross. The sense of I can only really know Christ through whatever my vulnerability or poverty is. And please, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that material poverty isn't something we should do everything in our power to try and overcome. But every one of us here has vulnerability, has weakness. Every one of us could get up at our own version of the convocation, the company picnic, the honors night. And when everyone is expecting to lay accolades on us and hear us just pontificate over how amazing our accomplishments have been, every one of us with brutal honesty could reach deep down inside and say, and here's something you probably never guessed in a million years I was carrying with me. Or really, we probably all could have guessed it because each one of us in our own way is. And so it's this sense, Jesus is saying, you don't have an option here. This is the only way to do it. You've got to go out of your vulnerability. You've got to speak from that place if you really want to share what I have with you. Now, the other thing to notice about that is Jesus sends these guys and gals, we have no reason to think they were only men, he sends them to the towns that he is going to visit. Go back and reread the passage carefully. It literally says, he sends them to the towns that he is going to visit. In other words, they're not doing sort of mop-up duty. It's not, well, Jesus, I've got these towns, and you guys get those towns, and you guys get that neighborhood. These are the very places Jesus will be visiting, and he's sending them ahead to prepare the way. So think about what that means. How do you get prepared to receive Jesus? You are prepared to receive Jesus by having the vulnerable ones come to you. The way you prepare your heart to receive Jesus is in that moment of choice, what am I going to do to the one who is in front of me in his or her own vulnerability? That's how Jesus is preparing the town for his arrival. It's an extraordinary thing if you think about it. And it's not like, well, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. That is the way Jesus orchestrates it. That's the only way it can happen. Because if that town isn't able to embrace the vulnerability of the ones who come to them, then there's no peace there. And Jesus says, you know, leave them in the Father's hands, but you move on. Because all you have to offer them is the peace that comes out of your poverty. So that's something I can relate to. I can imagine the challenge of Cardinal Supich saying to me, or maybe you can imagine the challenge of your boss or your spouse or your children saying to you, hey, I need you to do something for me that's really, really important. And in order to prepare yourself, you've got to belly up to the bar and put out on the table that very area or aspect in your life where you feel least capable of doing anything. And I think the reason behind that is simply that from that place, all we can do is receive if we choose. That is the area of greatest receptivity. And we either shut down or we have to open up and say, here I am. I'm here to receive your love, your generosity, your peace. And so Paul, on the other side of the resurrection, when he saw what the cross wasn't and what it was, he could say with a clarity, because it was new, it was fresh, he wasn't reading it off of his worship aid. He was living it. 
there's something there in that vulnerability, in that openness, in that raw honesty of here I am that really is transformational. He knew it when he was blinded on the road to Damascus, but all these years later, every one of us has the same opportunity. So maybe just as a little spiritual exercise in this 14th week of ordinary time, to just look inside and say, where is my opportunity? Where is my offering out of poverty? What is my version of not taking a second cloak or extra food or extra money? It's a wonderful witness in the gospel today, and it ought to be every bit as much as it was for them, a consolation and an encouragement for us.